Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. I'm sure a lot of you, like me, were pretty surprised when it was announced that Kleenex was abandoning Canada. I mean, Kleenex, it's one of those brands that has been so successful for so long that we just use the name brand for any number of similar products, right? Like, have you ever asked for a tissue? I've never asked for a tissue in my life, but I've asked for Kleenex lots of times, right? I mean, you know, pass me a Kleenex. Yeah, sure. Okay. We know what it is, sort of become interchangeable with the actual product. So how does a brand like that, that dominant for so long and that iconic in many ways, come to a place where, you know what, it's just, it's no longer we're staying in Canada for us. We're going to abandon that market. I mean, it, I, I had a hard time wrapping my head around it. So let's get some help. We're going to have a conversation with David Soberman, who is a professor of marketing at the University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management who I believe is going to tell us this goes much deeper than just Kleenex. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time today. No, it's my pleasure. Let's start with Kleenex. Iconic brand, really hard for me, and I think for a lot of people to understand, hey, how can they not make a go of it in Canada? Legendary brands don't close up shop. What happened? Well, these things happen over a long period, but what had happened is that uh, Kruger, which is a Canadian paper company, got control of the uh, Scott Scotty's uh, tissue brand uh, due to a merger in the U.S. whereby actually Kimberly Clark had control of both brands. But uh, Canadians uh, seem to like Scotty's and they've done very, very well to the point where they are probably more than double the size, at least in that category, than Kleenex. Wow. And one of the big problems in today's marketplace is that when you have half the volumes, you've got half the volume over which to spread your fixed costs. And there are a lot of fixed costs running a brand in the marketplace today. You know, even beyond the challenges of distribution and listings, you also have the fact that um, when you go into a retailer and start negotiating, they're going to probably want a more attractive wholesale price because your product doesn't fly off the shelves as quick. Okay. And so those things all together make make it a tough situation for for a brand like Kleenex. So it comes down to like if you're the leading brand, you're in an entirely different category. But if you're not, if you've slid to second place as Kleenex did, you're really in the hole. Like it's really tough to make a, a headway. Well, this is especially true in categories that I would say are commodity like. Okay. And the definition of a commodity like category is when people don't really care that much sure. which product you give them. In fact, it's a bit it's a bit reflective of the comment that you said which is pass me a Kleenex. And if somebody passes you a Scotty's or a President's Choice yeah. tissue, you're not going to be upset. No. You got what you wanted. Yeah. So there are other categories, for example, where the branding and the differences are a lot stronger. I mean, an example of this might be crackers, where there's big differences between, you know, Ritz crackers, yep. Premium Plus crackers, uh, and, and so on. And those differences actually make 
the ability to substitute between brands more difficult. Yeah, like ketchup. Like you, everybody buys Heinz ketchup, right? Like it's it's not as interchangeable. Yeah, well, that, that's actually an interesting category because it's kind of been dominated by one player for a long time. Yeah. And the competition that they're feeling right now comes from private labels. So you'll find that in, in a in a supermarket like Loblaws, President's Choice ketchup has a pretty sizable share, despite the strength of the Heinz brand. You mentioned those private labels, and I imagine if you're talking about something like Kleenex, right? And and like you say, we, we, I don't care. I mean, we use the term generically. It doesn't matter what kind you use. Um, that You're going to default to price then, right? I mean, that's going to be the overriding factor for a lot of shoppers. Like, you may not be brand loyal for something like that because they're all the same. So, so what's going to be cheapest for me? Exactly. Well, that that really is the big issue. When you have a category that has commoditized where there are less differences between products, consumers then default to price. And that's really the kiss of death if you want to be profitable within a category. In fact, in those types of categories, the only way you can be profitable is to have large volumes, which then gets us back to what we originally talked about, which is if you're the biggest brand, you're probably okay. But if you're in second or third place, life is difficult. And and like you say, then you've got an entirely different relationship with the retailer. You're not in the position of power at that point. And, and it just, uh, you got to make a decision as to whether or not it's worthwhile. Absolutely. And I think the thing is that if our retailers didn't have so much power, that would give the manufacturers a bigger ability to be able to resist the uh, price pressure that's put on them. But because the retailers in our country are so big, I mean, three of the, the three of the uh, retailers in, in supermarkets contain uh, control more than 50% of the market. And when you're in a situation like that, it makes it very difficult for a brand to say, well, fine, if you don't carry my product, they don't care. Well, it's hard to do that when, you know, any, sing- any one of those three major yeah. chains in Canada accounts for almost 20% of the market. And, and we talk so much about the lack of competition in this country, not just in grocery retailers, but just, you know, certainly in that sector as well. But so you've got a situation where we have a lack of competition and what it does is create even less competition uh, on store shelves. I mean, it's just, it's going from bad to worse. Yes. I mean, I think each category is a little bit different. So, in something like uh, supermarkets, we've had increased levels of concentration over time, and they were recently found guilty of price fixing in bread. So there's definitely evidence that there's insufficient competition in that sector. But of course, everybody's been talking about telecom as well. Yeah. And that industry is also a little bit too cozy. In fact, our, our competition uh, tribunal just approved Rogers' acquisition of Shaw, which further increases the concentration. Um, But in that particular industry, it seems to me that restrictions on foreign ownership are more the issue than the fact that there are just three big companies. Because in many other countries, like France and the UK, they have multiple companies that are competing, including German companies that are competing in the UK, British companies that are competing in France. And all of this leads to a much more attractive situation for consumers, something which we don't have in Canada. Is there a way that we can get there? I know you've proposed some solutions. What do we need to do to improve this situation? 
Well, I think uh, the first thing, and I think this is something that's being looked at in Ottawa right now, is trying to give our competition bureau and maybe even the legislation a little more teeth to investigate the degree to which these companies don't compete on a basis of price. Another thing that we could look at is you have a lot of smaller chains that people think are independent, but they're not independent, like Fortino's and and Longo's in Toronto. So, you know, I'm I'm based in Toronto, so those are the ones that I know, and I'm sure there's a similar situation in Alberta. And you get the idea that, you know, geez, there's competition, there's a lot of choice, except for they're all owned by the same people. So, you know, is that really the right way to go. I mean, uh, obviously, 10, 15, 20 years ago, these these chains truly were independent. Now they're not. And I think, while on the one hand, there's certain efficiencies that are achieved by uh, having larger chains, the downside is uh, insufficient competition. And then I think the other thing, too, and I've never quite understood the logic in having limits on the amount of stuff that you can bring a, back across the border for personal use but because i thought we were in a free trade zone so i think um it's just strange to me that yeah you know if you come back with 14 bags of groceries from uh, wegmans or grand union depending on which part of the border you live close to uh, the guys at customs they start start want to charging you duty and i'm like i don't what, what's with that so if i'm a if i'm a big supermarket i can bring in a truck of 50,000 pounds worth of stuff and not pay duty, but consumers have to pay duty. There's not a lot of logic in some of the rules that we have. And I guess what I was suggesting in the article that maybe uh, relaxation of some of the restrictions on individuals might be one way of trying to get retailers to be a little more reasonable in terms of their pricing. Yeah. And then, I mean, you actually, you're sort of importing competition at that point, right? You're forcing it. Exactly. I mean, this is going to be hard for people that live in a place like Edmonton. Of course, yeah. So far, but you know, a lot of Canadians do live pretty close to the border, and you know, as long as uh, the wait isn't isn't excessive at the border. I mean, during the pandemic, it was ridiculous, but I think it's a lot better now. People will go over there and do shopping and come back, and you know, if they start doing that, then retailers will sort of have to. Uh, adapt and um, not have such high margins on the, the products that they're selling. Fascinating conversation. Uh, David, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it.